Blog Talk Radio. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. Hi, and welcome to the Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Sarah Pan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show, from cinema verite to impressionistic documentaries, Tina D. Feliciantonio and Jane C. Wagner's critically acclaimed work has been screened and broadcast in countries throughout the world. They have tackled a wide range of subjects, social justice, AIDS, wartime, rape, LGBT civil rights, garnering dozens of top honors, including two National Emmy Awards for Outstanding Cultural Programming and two Sundance Film Festival Awards, including the Grand Jury Prize for Best Doc. And Carol, I know you are a major fan of their work. Yes, I am. And thank you, Tina, so much for joining us today. Okay. Well, Tina oh, must she's, have... You know, no, she's still with us. She's still oh, good. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, thanks, Tina. We're so glad you came. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Sure. Well, now, the show today is to educate independent filmmakers, so we really want to learn more about your internal process for creating all these award-winning films. Perhaps you could tell us what your criteria is for choosing a project and how you find these films. Mm. Well, the, the first thing that we, I guess we don't really look for a subject. It just sort of, it sort of comes to us in terms of reading about something or speaking to someone and just thinking, wow, um, you know, I'm interested in learning more. And if I'm interested, I'm hoping somebody else might be interested. So, that, you know, we begin some research and, you know, to find out if it could be a viable film. So that's like, that's the first thing, that's the first thing that comes to mind. You know, are, are we interested in it and can we, you know, there's a lot of films that we would like to make that are more lighthearted. But considering that it takes so long to make films, most of the films we end up making uh, are social issue documentaries because it's something you can put your heart and soul into it and, you know, really enrich your life during the process of making it. You know, you just learn so much. Right. Well, once you get in touch with the subject matter that interests you and that you want to know more about, how do you determine if there is a market for it? Well, um, that's a good question. Uh, I think just through reading and researching uh, about the topic and figuring out what, 
I'll say, you know, what the subject needs um, in terms of uh, public awareness and um, and support by the public and that sort of, sort of thing. So we sort of read about that and get a sense of what the needs are just mm-hmm. by researching and gleaning and then um, and then seeing what other films have been out there. Right now it's pretty easy with Google and all these search engines. So just looking at film festivals and distributors and broadcast and looking overseas as well, see what else has been made similar uh, on, on the topic that might be similar, and then figure out what can, what can this film do uh, or bring to audiences um, that other films have not done. Um, so, or how can it complement what's already out there? Because one of the one of my degrees, one of my undergraduate degrees, is in business, and one of the first things we learned was, you know, you have to find out what your market is, and if there if there is a market for um, for what you need. So that's the first thing we one of the first things we think about. That is so important because it, I tell filmmakers all the time, this is the business of film. Don't forget that. You're supposed to make a living doing this. You may start out with an altruistic belief system that yeah, this film needs to be made. That's important because that will keep you with the film. But is there a market and where is the market? And and now with the Internet, it, it is easier to find the market and to make a, a film for a small niche market, don't you think? Yes, I think it. I think it is. Um, but then again, it depends on the scope of the film. I mean, right now you even have opportunities for, you know, these small five-minute films. Uh, you know, the market's changing, or distribution is changing all the time, and those opportunities are becoming available. But the the key is learning about them quickly, seeing if you can meet those needs. Um, if the budgets are right for you, for instance, the New York Times um, could submit um, ideas and they might come to you as well uh, for five-minute op-eds op or three minutes. You know, and they're general, it's $5,000. And you know, maybe if it's a local story, you can do that pretty easily. Um, if you have to travel, that starts to get expensive. So um, the whole issue of prop- profitability um, all along the way for filmmakers right now is called into question. That's very important. Well, tell us, Let's uh, maybe you want to use one of the films that you've done, but we'd really love to know what specifically you do to find the market for the film. And um, once you set your mind to an idea, how do you determine if it is marketable? That's a, that's another good question. Um, the film we're doing now, one of the films we're doing now is called Seeking Refuge. And it's a film, there are very few films in the United States um, and elsewhere that have um, told this story because the access is, is very difficult and the subject matter is very difficult. It's basically about the story of healing and finding one's voice. The characters are people who have been tortured overseas by different regimes, including Sierra Leone and that very bloody and violent civil war, uh, Chad, Jamaica, we have a gay man in Jamaica, um, Tibet, and so forth. So we look at their 
the process of healing and regaining their voices, but at the same time, we have to go back and explain why they were tortured in the first place, tortured them, and what are the roots of that torture. So it's sort of a present-day verite project that has been taking place over a period of five or six years following their progression or lack thereof um, in terms of healing and, um, you know, giving some context to um, to the ubiquity of, of torture and why it takes place around the world. There are some common elements involved. And so, you know, we did that research and there were very few films on the topic, very, very few. And this is something I think the general public needs to be become aware of that in the United States because these are all people seeking refuge, political asylum here. And there are hundreds of thousands of people, um, you know, in, in there are neighbors, there are coworkers, they worship with us. Uh, they shop alongside us, they drive our buses, and these people are political refugees who have been tortured. And so this is a part of, like, the whole immigration process of the United States, you know, giving shelter to people. And so that's something that we felt, you know, we need to know ourselves as a nation. We need to know ourselves as citizens and who's in our community and what special needs are necessary. This particular community has very special needs. Um, There are 23 centers for the survivors of torture in the United States uh, scattered around. And New York City happens to have one of the oldest and most diverse and one of the best. And we're working with Bellevue as the, the locus of the film. So all of these people are clients. And, um, you know, we go into therapy. We deal with some of the social, um, you know, the uh, living accommodations, how people get work, some of the legal aspects. And this is something that law schools need, social workers need, doctors need. So it has a very specific target market as well because films have not addressed this, um, the, the specifics of what's necessary here. So what we'll probably do and what we've done with other films, if you know, depending on how long this is, is provide either snippets of the film or recut parts of the film for specific usage or maybe you know, show the film and then have clips for questions and answers. And actually, our clip was played at... Um, at NYU Medical Center, um, and they do a whole day or two for doctors to um, physicians, um, medical students actually, to learn how to find out if someone has had trauma in their lives. You know, you go into a physician's office, and very rarely do they have the skills to ask questions about. Well, first of all, even you know, physical abuse. Uh, mental abuse in relationships, um, incest when you were young, all these sort of, you know, very difficult um, topics to to talk about. And you walk into your physician's office, you may have, you, know, you may see them once a year. That physician needs to have that information, but very few people learn how to um, elicit that information. So they do trainings and they bring in a uh, actors and they have uh, the medical students behind two-way glass, and they record it uh, as well. And they go through training sessions, and the doctors are outside, and 
making notations on what worked and what didn't work. They reconvene, and the actors explain what they felt about it. And so there's a whole sort of download session, and they showed our, our clips. And the medical students were sitting there astonished. Some broke down and cried. Um, somebody said, this can't be real. These must be actors. Um, and so you take it for granted that if you're in the social issue side of life, um, you know, we tend to be somewhat more rare, may, aware maybe um, than the general public. And these doctor, doc, you know, these med students, they're, they're not necessarily, they don't necessarily have time to read the paper. Um, so if this is new to med students, um, it will be new, you know, to quite a, quite a few other people. Um, and then it's also very inspiring because you watch these people with the will to survive. They came here. They're extraordinary people to begin with. And then the will to heal and form relationships with care partners that will help them do that. Um, so I think we all can learn from compassionate community response to you know, people's needs who have experienced you know, horror and, and trauma of the worst kind. Absolutely brilliant. What a wonderful idea for a film. I'm so impressed. And oh, it thank is you. absolutely needed, Tina. Absolutely, mm. because we see all these T V shows where people are tortured and they're just thrown away or we don't they don't follow what happens. How does that person regain their sanity? Mhm. Mhm. It's really very fascinating. It's been a very hard film to fund. I mean, we we going to funding. You know, we got seed money from Sundance. Um, we got some money from the National Endowment for Humanities, National Endowment for the Arts, the MacArthur Foundation, and now Bertha. So these are like very prestigious, and, and another organization, and a few people. So these are really <laughs> prestigious funders. But we can't seem to get like funding elsewhere. We, you know, we we went to ITBS, we went to Sundance again, and everybody's well. We can't see the whole film. We can't get a sense of how the film's being put together. And I said, you know, we want to see there, and they're like, we want to see the film further along. And I said, well, I'm applying for, you know, for, <laughs> for post production funding. <laughs> so, yes, you want um, me to. Be- I need some money. Yes, come on. Yeah, and so it's, and what becomes difficult is it, it is well. First of all, I think not many people are making longitudinal documentaries with a variety of people. So you're looking at five, six, seven years, and an audience or funders are not going to see the film come together until you wade through all that footage and and. And it takes a long time to edit these films because we've done some longitudinal documentaries. And so a lot of people, because they don't see them anymore, don't really know how to evaluate them. I think that's one thing. And the other thing is why take a leap of faith? If um, I use the word compete, even though funders hate people using that word. It, you are competing. <laughs> that's the way it is. You're competing no. against your peers you know, who, who should get their films funded as well, right? Um, whose films are further along. 
you know, they're in a rough cut stage, everybody can see it, yeah, I got it, I, I we can move ahead with this. So um, it's been very difficult to move beyond the stage in a way uh, for funding. Uh, anyway. Well, I'm really sorry to hear that because you have a lot of great areas. Now, you mentioned uh, law, um, and I would think maybe attorneys might have money for that if uh, that was beneficial to them. Yes. Well, right now we're going to, that's what we're going to do is start reaching out to these, you know, medical schools and all the rest of that. Now, of course, that might take ages to, you know, earn people's trust and all the rest of it. So we have to sort of look for low-hanging fruit, um, which means getting recommendations from people and so forth and so on. So I think that's really an individual patrons because more and more films are getting funded that way. There's, you know... There's a lot more opportunities for filmmakers to make films because the barriers to entry have been lowered due to the you know the cost of technology and how easy it is to you know to get yourself going. But everybody's competing against those same funds. Exactly. So, uh, through our fiscal sponsorship, I see that most of the money, I'd say seventy percent of the money that filmmakers make through us comes from individuals. Yes, exactly. More and more our uh, individuals are funding. So that's the, that's the route we have to go. Um, I personally don't like asking people for money, so it's difficult for me. But I'm getting over myself. This is the way it is, and this is what it, what's expected, and this is what I owe my film and the people in my film and my funders. So that's where we're heading next. Good, because you owe it to us, the public. We want to see this film. I mean, this, honestly, this reminds me of that film, Hot Coffee, where you think that you're just going to go in and hear about one little case, and then it spreads out to the legal side and the medical side, and it keeps on going with the caps now. On and There's so much information mm. that is available in that documentary, and yours sounds like uh, it's very similar. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's going to be one of the challenges, not to overwhelm the audience and to interweave the characters. I mean, they can even, somebody even suggested that we make short films on the different characters. Um, something just very exciting happened yesterday. We, um, we, we heard of a gay man in Jamaica, and Jamaica is one of the harshest, most brutal countries uh, for gay men in particular uh, in the world. I know we've heard about, you know, Uganda, but uh, you know, Jamaica's pretty far up there. And uh, so a friend of mine told me about this this young man and uh, asked if we could help because she knew, you know, the film we were making. And we spoke to people and we went down there before he, he left. We helped him, you know, this is what you need to seek asylum and we shot with him with his friends and his family in Jamaica and basically followed him home. And he's been in the Bellevue NYU Center for the Survivors of Torture program, getting medical care and psychological care, you know, dental work, whatever he needs, legal help. Um, and uh, he just got asylum yesterday. Oh, congratulations. It How was, wonderful. Just, just thrilling. So happy for him, and seeing how he's grown and matured and healed in the course of just a, a year and a half 
you know, with the right people around you who care and uh, to be able to achieve asylum um, is just one of the most thrilling things I've been a part of. Absolutely. Well, specifically talking about this film, what uh, distribution avenue do you think would be the place for this film to be shown? Is this, do you think, a good shot for HBO or Discovery or where? You know, I think once the film is completed, they'll, you know, make a decision on that. Um, The subject matter is rather harsh. And, uh, you know, to listen to. And when people watch the clip, some people are like, I want to hear more about the torture. I know it's kind of perverse of me, but I really want to know about it. And some people are like, I am completely overwhelmed by this. So uh, older folks usually tend to feel overwhelmed, whereas the younger people, I think, we've been around torture and the discussions around torture for, for, for longer um, so, you know, I'm hoping for a wider general audience. Usually most of our independent films do POV. Uh, we've had a lot on POV. So we'll keep our fingers crossed on that. Um, perhaps independent lens when the film is further along as well. Uh, but certainly target markets will be, you know, medical schools, law schools, social workers, uh, psychologists, um, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, I'm not afraid of using educational distributors. I think um, they still do a very good job. They they know their audience. They have connections into these different um, these different groups that need education. And certainly, um, colleges are using more and more media uh, for training and d- different discussions. Um, uh, I mean, I had a film called Living with AIDS. It was the first film to be shown on PBS uh, about AIDS. And it wasn't my first Emmy. It was my student thesis from Stanford. I still get emails and notes from people. Isn't that wonderful? It was used in prisons. I mean, that was not one of my target markets, prisons. Yeah. But I had people email me saying, you know, I'm using this in prisons. I'm like, fantastic. So sometimes, you know, you have target markets that you don't even know about. Isn't that great? And it takes a long time to find them. <laughs> but it's wonderful yeah. to communicate with yeah. you. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Well, some of the things I, I really wanted to know, you, you're covering so beautifully. Thank you. And I was so really, um, what you recommend is that filmmakers spend the time to look at the potential of the film and determine if the audience will warrant the time and energy it will take for you to make the film, and is it financially viable? Can you get paid enough to survive for the three to five years or whatever your projected timeline is, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, there is a huge problem right now in terms of sustainability. One of the things I'm looking at um, starting a task force, and we were at the Independent Documentary Association Summit. Um, I worked with Michael Lumpkin putting together at the IDA. And um, what I'm launching is called the Independent Documentary Sustainability Task Force. And I really want to look at whether or not filmmakers can sustain a living um, making films, especially social issue films. You know, you can make more commercial 
films. Um, and, you know, pretty much what I'm finding is, no, you really can't sustain yourself unless you are established and you have an income stream. You know, you're one of Sheila's uh, people that she's worked with for a long time or, you know, there are a lot of people with trust funds more and more, um, which I was not aware of, but, um, you know, people are communicating that with first-hand knowledge. There are people with... Um, you know, partners who have uh, who have a steady job and they can pay for the health insurance and the rent and all that sort of thing. And a lot of people are self-funding. I mean, this particular film, because it's so labor-intensive and it's taking place, place over such a long period of time, I mean, I'm going into my, you know, retirement, my IRAs, and playing a heavy tax on that too um, because the funding is so slow to come and you need to you need to... You need to pay overhead. Even though cameras have come down and they're a lot cheaper and you can learn the skills to shoot, maybe not as good as a professional camera person, but you can get the job done. You're saving on all these line items, sure, but you still have to pay for insurance. You still have to pay for all these other line items that are going up. They're not going down. Um, so I think it's becoming increasingly hard to, to be to sustain yourself um, making a living. Especially when you get older, you have kids, your living expenses go up. Um, you have aging parents that you need to be there for, so you can't work 24-7 as you did in your 20s and 30s and maybe your 40s. Um, so it becomes problematic. And one of the reasons I'm looking at the task force is to see... <sighs> It basically explains, and I want to get quantitative data analyzed, you know, with qualitative data as well. There's a reason why the film industry um, is so white and so middle, upper middle class. Um, unless you have the, the means to sustain yourself, um, very hard to make it. And um, you go to a film festival, you go to any of these places, you see more and more people of color, but it's the majority are are white. Um, and I think that's problematic. I think it's problematic not having people from the working class um, being able to sustain a career in, in making films. Um, you're not hearing points of view from wide segments of society that have something to say. So... I'd like things to change in a, in a multitude of ways and have a lot of ideas, but it would take a lot of convincing to to get buy-in. Well, yes, we'd love to hear some of the ideas because the point is everybody thinks that when you go after a grant that you can add in what you have spent so far and, and we'll cover that, and that's not necessarily so. Most people don't want to go backwards. They want to go right. forward. They want to know right. what you're using the money for, and they'll give it to you for future stuff. But what you put in, that's your investment. Yes, it's, it certainly is. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not one of the people who are more encouraged uh, for, you know, a long-term sustainable career. And at the at the uh, at the summit, most people said, "Look, it's just you need to work two jobs, and that's just the way it is." And I've never worked two jobs. Sure, I've done my own independent films. I've worked for high-end clients. 
um, I work for television, and we've been able to piece things together. Um, you know, we've crewed for other people and so forth and so on. But, you know, most, and still, you're not making a lot of money. It's here and there. It's labor intensive. Every time you work on another project, you're not moving your own project forward. <laughs> Hopefully, you'll make a little the money to save. And, you know, so it's not really an efficient business model at, in the least. Um, so, you know, what, what people are saying is, well, you need to have a partner that has money and can sustain you or, and, um, and work for somebody else. And I'm like, I, I've done that. I just, you know, you need one job. <laughs> you need one professional job to do, and it should be your filmmaking, but it's becoming increasingly more difficult to do. Um, you know, people on the panel were basically saying, I have my wife. She stays home and takes care of the kids, and I'm the one running around. I couldn't have done I can't do it without her, as one example. Yes, yes. Well, talking about having a partner that sustains you, I mean, doc, filmmakers, when they get involved in a film, that's the partner. Uh, one of the girls that uh, was w- working with me said, uh, oh, my gosh, she said, my my boyfriend left me, and I said, what happened? She said, well, you know, she said, I was editing my film and editing and editing, and I came out and I found this note on the wall <laughs> saying, I've left, I've left you. And she called him and said, what's wrong? He said, I left you a week ago, and you didn't oh. even know it. Oh, my God. And that, wow. Well, I mean, it's a little stretch, but that is very true with filmmakers when they are well, yes. In every yes. stage, there's so much total commitment and focus that you have to yeah. have a loving partner that mm-hmm. knows this is a long-term investment, and you mm-hmm. may not get any return on this investment. You may break even. That would be a joy in our industry. That's right. That's right. Exactly. I mean, we talk about you know our industry being progressive, but I wonder how progressive it really is. And we, if you look at the statistics, it's much better than Hollywood. But, you know, as we heard with the nominations in terms of people of color, and certainly women, in, uh, you look at the Board of Governors at the Academy, and it's it's really quite disgraceful. Um, so we look at what is uh, mainstream feature filmmaking going to do. Are we going to do anything? Or is it status quo? Or is our permission? Is our profession the status quo? So I'm sort of like the only one in there, moving and shaking and talking to people, you know, off the record. And soon as you know, again, this is free. I'm doing the work for free. I'm using all my on my own time. I'm reaching out and going to conferences and stuff. But it's something I believe in uh, that our own industry has to become more inclusive. And by doing that, it's the basis of it is is financial. Financial inability for the filmmakers to right to support them while they're making the film. Yes, while they're making the film, and you know the back end distribution. Now you have this whole push for impact. So after you're done the film, you have to have a whole impact strategy with metrics to prove the film is getting out there. And most filmmakers are like, this is not my area of expertise. You know, I raised the money, I told the story, I'm dealing with all the the computer stuff and management and finances and contracts. Now there's this whole outreach component. And most people now are hiring people to do the outreach. So that's more money that you have to shell out. Then you go to a film festival like Sundance, 
and you have to bring a uh, a publicist. Who's gonna who's paying for all this? You are. That's right. And when I went to Sundance with girls like us, we won the grand jury prize. We just showed up. I think maybe I had a postcard. <laughs> 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 yeah, we were schmoozing and working it and all this crazy stuff. I just went to as many films as we could and did your Q and A. And either people were interested in the film or they weren't. Oh, everything has changed so much. I mean, for the for the better in so many ways. The quality, you know, the quality has gone up, and variety of films that people are making. It's just wonderful. But yes. It really is. Well, I have to say that when I uh, ran my business in Hollywood, I, there were a lot of actors and professional directors, cinematographers. I had one of the best cinematographers in Hollywood working for me because he was between jobs. And sometimes you just have a hard road to hoe. And he was with me for about a year. But the wow, point that's is, wonderful. I was open to taking people in the film industry knowing that they might have to go out on an interview or uh, leave for a week and take a job and come back. And I Mm. was okay with that. And because of that, I had such brilliant, creative people working for me. I was really blessed that Mm. one of the ideas you might have is the organizations or companies that would take people part-time, knowing Mm -hmm. that they would not be nine-to-fivers, they would have to set their own hours, or some people who would take a full-time job but have the right to leave uh, for other work if it came up. I mean, people who love the film industry might be willing to do that. I, I mm-hmm. we, we actually do that with younger people that work for us quite a bit um, because they need as much experience. You know, they do the naked eye kind of beginnings and then we're like okay we love you but we're going to nudge you out the door do you have to move on with your career and we may or may not be able to offer that and uh and and then so we basically have people coming and going they set their <laughs> schedule sometimes i never even know when they're coming or going to be honest with you but as long as they're getting the job done um that's all that matters so um it allows us to keep people longer and um and allow them to get outside training as well. So, I, you know, I, I believe flexibility is is a is a really good thing. Um, so. Yeah, and in our industry, it's important. Well, let me ask you: Do you uh, get interns that help you, or uh, or just uh, young people who love the film industry and want to come work and learn? We do. We're very careful about when we bring interns on because I really feel that they need to learn something and so if I'm at a point in the project where no there's really nothing for them to to bite in and chew off um, even though I need people to help me filing and writing letters and stuff like that I don't we don't take them on Uh, we only take them on when we really feel that they can uh, can learn something because another part and one of the other concerns I have about the task force is um you know how interns are exploited. They uh, they are, and you know I've heard of a, a very well-funded, well-established filmmaker who does wonderful work. And the woman who came and worked with us said, you know, all I did for three months was scan pictures, and I I just won't do that to somebody. Um, 
Uh, I won't put someone in a position. And it's illegal. You you can't hire someone to do, an intern to do something where you could have hired a, a paid employee. There There's a lot of legal parameters that people don't know about in terms of interns. Um, the government has been cracking down on some of the larger institutions, which I think is really important uh, on interns. But... Um, it becomes more of a legal thing that I think people could do a little research or talk to their attorneys um, above and beyond things. So I always urge people to become professionally as educated as possible in the legal aspects and all the rest of that. Thank you. That's really good advice. Well, getting back to producing the film, um, I because we have a film grant, I get to see hundreds, maybe 500 trailers a year, and I really find that that uh, is such an important part of the funding business. Uh, yeah. We make a lot of decisions on that because I've seen sometimes where the written word wasn't as good, the trailer was outstanding. Yeah. Uh, and so I just wonder, uh, what? how do you decide on what information that you need to get for your trailer, because I, I think that many times people just go out and shoot, and then they look for what they can put into a trailer rather than planning what it is they want the trailer to say and taking the right questions in the interview to get the essence of the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trailers are very difficult to do well. Um, for all the reasons you're, you know, mentioning, and also trailers are sent to different funders. You know, there's a trailer for maybe POV or ITVS or you know um, Sheila Nevins over at HBO. You know, they they might want to see one thing. Um, a, let's say a gay funder might want to see, you know, something heavily leaning towards um, those issues. Um, so sometimes you end up making multiple trailers, but, um, you know, what we try to do, I'm not saying it's always successful, but what we try to do is give a sense of the characters. Um, we feel, and I'd love your feedback on this as well. You know, you see so many, but we really try to give a sense of, of the characters and what their stories are and then, um, give a sense of how the film is going to you know, what the style is, uh, you know, the approach to the film is going to be and how those how those mesh, um, you know, sense of music, are you going to use special effects? And you, know, you don't want to spend a heck of a lot of money on a trailer because the whole idea is to make, you know, raise money on the trailer. And if you're at the beginning of a project, you know, do you have the money to run around and shoot and then edit? Because um, these trailers sometimes take quite a quite a long time to to get balanced out. So um, I mean, I think those are the main you know characters, storyline, um, style, um, and then does it address the overarching idea for the film? Like, can you see can you see what the film's going to be or what it's going to say? Um, they're very tricky, especially, you know, people want different lengths of trailers. Some people want four minutes. Some people want eight minutes. Some people want longer. So, you know, that's always a, a challenge. And how about yourself? What are some of the things you look for? 
Well, when people call me and say, what is important to, to you? What do you want in my trailer? And I say three things. Story, story, story. Give me uh-huh. a story. Because they um, they may get too uh, in, excited about one person or one in one piece of information in the the whole it's not a it's not a feature doc it's not enough information so what is the story remember that film lovers and other strangers where he kept saying what's the story richie and that is who i am and um and i want you to grab me in the first 10 seconds mm-hmm. i love i love it when it's a brilliant opening mm-hmm. and, um so that and 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 I I like an unusual opening. Not if I'm looking at the rainforest, I don't want a long shot of the rainforest. I want to see something that is part of the film. And what, what is the story? Start uh-huh. with me there and then bring me forward. And uh, sound. Uh-huh. The saddest thing is that you'll have some great product, and the sound is bad. And then worry. Does the filmmaker really know what they're doing? I mean, what is the film going to be? Mm-hmm. Are they going to put their money in sound? Because if they don't, we're in trouble here. And and music is a key to me. I mm-hmm. want to get into the uh, trailer and not be taken out by bad sound or bad music or uh, rough cuts or strange stuff. I've <laughs> put up with some... Uh, some cards uh-huh. where it's obvious that you haven't gone to South America or someplace to get that one shot. That's okay. Um, but just keep me in the story is what I like because I want to be so engrossed that I can't wait to see more. That's me. Uh-huh. 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 Well, that makes a lot of sense. The sound issue is a particular concern, and I think a lot of documentary filmmakers you know, you have to get a professional sound person quite a bit of time or at least a separate person who's learning sound. And because documentaries are so, um, you know, they hinge so much on verbal uh, information. Um, and that's one thing I'd like to change a bit on the short films that I do, you know, not just cut down on the verbiage. Um, so short, our short films are a little more experimental. Um, but the sound has got to be good. Um, it's very distracting if the sound is is not good uh, in both documentaries and features, you know, narrative features. Um, and I think there have been studies done that people will accept, you know, out of focus or you know, different those kind of visuals, but not accept bad sound. So exactly. I'm glad you pointed that out. Oh, my phone lines are now working. Terrific. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me ask you something. With the advent of the Internet for marketing, uh, I, um, I was just wondering when you start your marketing, garner names and start collecting names for your database, for your films, at what stage do you do that? Mm-hmm. You mean to, for potential uh, audience members, that sort of thing? Yes, and there's also money in those audience members, people who really like, who are interested in the subject matter of your film, the ones, the market that we just uh, talked about before, uh, 
how do you start working with those people to drive them to your website to collect their names, and at what stage do you do that? Mm. Well, I think, um, you know, I think you have to be a little careful. Um, I mean, there are some people that front-load it and, you know, uh, get that, uh, have that move really quickly. And if you're making a film that takes a year or two, I can, you know, I can understand that. We're making a film that purposefully takes a long time, let's say, you know, five to seven years. So if we front load it, you know, at some point people start to feel that it's stale. Like, what's wrong with that project? They can't get it off the ground. So, um, so we tend to pull back on inter- an Internet presence um, you know, until we, for this kind of film, until we, you know, know we have a rough cut and then, you know, really pull the trigger on that. Um, so I think it depends on what your schedule is and your timeline. But certainly all the all along the way, um, you know, speaking with NGOs and speaking with uh, potential end users and, and, you know, your subjects, they also they also know, you know, they also quite often have a sense of who, depending on the film, you know, who needs this film, who would be interested, and they're a great source of information. Right. Yes, they would be. Well, what do you think that you need to go after money? Like uh, when your trailer, your proposal, the rights of the film, what What do you mm-hmm. put to the full package? I think one of the basic things at this point um, is, you know, exclusivity. You know, if I'm a funder, is somebody else going to come up and say, I'm doing a film on PSOT? And I'm like, ah, now, you know, I'm competing against a similar film. So with this particular film, we spent a lot of time, we started shooting so that we could put together a trailer. And then at some point I said, we have to stop because we're getting in too deep. And if we can't negotiate a contract with exclusivity, I'm sort of shooting myself on the, in the foot from a business standpoint. So with this particular film, it's called Seeking Refuge, we spent two years negotiating a contract. Whoa. It just made my, my head spin because there were so many people that had to sign off on it. Um, NYU, um, medical school, the larger school, the, uh, Bellevue Hospital, Department of Housing and Human Services, PSOT, the organization, all of the social workers, the psychiatrists. <laughs> so, um, and then everything needed to be written down. And of course, Jane and I have a different contract in mind than a giant institution has in mind. So it's, you know, negotiating, 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 a lot of educating. I mean, I had one one meeting. I, I just, I, I walked out of there. My head was spinning off my shoulders. And, you know, I've been through this quite a few times. And I think you have to just be patient. If you're working with an organization that has a lot of bureaucratic tentacles, um, and if you're working on your first or second project, I would sort of stay away from them because those sort of projects, because they take all along the way, these entities are going to be interested in finding out what's happening, and you know, it could, you could create a real mess if something goes slightly awry. So I would, I would say, you know, tr- try to get exclusivity to both any organization you're working with, and certainly the characters. 
Certainly, the right? Yeah, and if they don't give you exclusivity, you know, you can you can say okay, you can go on a news thing, you know, news thing or a uh, short or a, an internet blog. So, and to try to limit it um, as well, and make sure people have the releases and they're willing to sign the releases. It's the thing, and so I feel like once something is in paper, like the process of negotiating a piece of paper starts to establish communication and allows people to learn and have common ground and figure out what could be the pitfalls. And so, you know, when you when you go through these negotiations and when you're speaking with uh, clients, for most people it's a real educational process, and I always warn people, do that first. Get their full commitment because you're going to be working with them for a long time and they have to understand the importance of uh, of what a filmmaker needs as well. So I'd say exclusivity, releases, a contract, or at least a memorandum of understanding. Um, have an attorney review them. Sure, you can do the, you could do research and find out what's supposed to be in the contract. Make sure you have an attorney. Um, you could work closely with the attorney without spending a fortune. Make sure you have an attorney that gets you, that's willing to work with people of, uh, you know, where you're at in your career. Um, interview people you're afraid of asking dumb questions. It's the person's going to be your <laughs> your attorney. And the same thing with uh, accountants. Really make sure from the beginning that you're setting yourself up correctly, legally, because the last thing you want is to be audited and to spend a lot of time and money being audited. Um, and those things can throw a whole monkey wrench into uh, yeah, into a project. And also, you want to set things up because funders can sometimes come in and audit you. And so you want to make sure your basic foundation, all the business sides of things, are as nailed down as possible with oversight by professionals. And then, uh, And then at the same time, begin doing your research and more of the proposal writing. And um, I think the proposal writing is really a really key factor because in the process of writing a proposal, you're making the film in your head, or at least you should be. You really should be thinking about, you know, what's your film about? What goals it's going to meet? How are you going to meet these goals? How are your characters going to, you know, give life to these issues and you know you're writing the treatment so how will the treatment feel um so I, I think it's a very hard thing to do to write a really good proposal but i think the process should really benefit you as a filmmaker well said and then, yeah and then of course there's a trailer <laughs> well um i have had people who applied for the grant I call everybody who doesn't win, or they, I call them and tell them they didn't win. I don't send letters. And a lot mm-hmm. of times when I get them on the phone, they say, well, you know, I didn't. I, I just have to tell you that I got so close to my film. Thank you very much because you made me do a proposal, a mm-hmm. better proposal than I had before, and I really got into the heart of the film. So thanks for that. And I wow. think that's that, terrific. That's a good reason just to apply for grants to hone your own skills and and besides, I think people need to apply because um i've I have found that 
the many of the people who have applied have won after the second, third, or even the fourth time. Mm-hmm. Because the judges know the work. I have the same judges every year. They know, oh, my gosh, here she is again. What has she done? Oh, look at this. Yeah, she she's on the mark now, you know, so... Mm-hmm. And and that's what it takes sometimes, Tina. Exactly, it, it does, and you have to be patient but persistent. And sometimes, you know, really, get, at this point, I just expect a rejection. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't even put dates. I used to dates when I'm supposed to hear back from <laughs> from funders. I I just try to disassociate myself. Once it's out there, it's out there. And they'll call me if they need additional information. It's rude to, you know, in most cases, to contact funders and uh, all the rest of it. They have to go through their process. But um, I just ex- I just expect rejection, and when I get something good, I'm happy. <laughs> Great way. Great way to do it. But you're doing the work, and it's for you, not for them. You're doing the work to get a film out that has right. a heart, subject matter that's important. Right. Well, exactly. thank you so much. I have learned a tremendous amount, and so will and our filmmakers also. Thank you. But in the closing, have you got any final tips that you'd like to give us? Um, I think, um, I mean, I, I don't have to tell people to be passionate and to do their best work. Sometimes I hear people say that. It just, I'm like, well, that's what they're doing already. I know they are because they're listening to this program. They have ideas. They're there already. But I think just be, you know, be practical um, and figure out how you're going to live your life. You know, how are you going to make ends meet? You know, when do you want to have kids? You want to have kids some point? How are you going to plan that? How are you going to pay for that? How are you going to, are you going to be a full-time parent? Are you going to be part-time? What kind of parent do you want to be? Are your parents sick? Do they need special help? How far away do you live from them? Like all the life questions that as you get older, um, you just don't want them to sort of like, oh, my gosh, you know, how am I going to manage this with this crazy film career? But I think if you think in the long term, um, that would be good. And in the short term, a lot of people come out of school with a lot of debt, and you have to figure out how that's going to, you know, how you're going to handle that. So... When I was out of when I got out of Stanford, I went to graduate school. I went to as many classes as I could um, about distribution, about anything, anything they had that was affordable. I would go to even script writing to learn more about character and storytelling and um, and the basis of storytelling. Um, so I would recommend go to as many classes. You could do a lot online, which is terrific, but I think when you're with like-minded people and you're in a room, it adds a sense of community because the work can be very isolating and a lot of people are ask good questions that you might not think of. So I'd say, you know, if you're in New York, Women Make Movies has a lot of um, a lot of you know, evening seminars taught by really good people and they're usually very affordable. So I would say look around in your own community and make the time, the effort, you know, put some pocket change together and keep going to as much as possible and learn something new and reinforce, you know, reinforce what you're doing right. That's so important. Thank you very much for that. It's the key. Keep educating. You'll never learn it all, I'll tell you. When it's time exactly. to close the box, I know I'm going to say, wait, I have another question. Wait. <laughs> right. 
So well, we're all learning you, every so day, and this business of all is moving so fast. It's that every day is something new and wonderful and uh, yes. and exciting. It really so is. Tell us how people can find you, please. Email is the best. Um, uh, you can go on my website, uh, Naked Eye Productions, N-A-K-E-D, uh, E-Y-E, and Productions. That'll pop up, and I'll give you uh, my uh, e- the email address is info at nakedeyeproductions.com. But then you know, they should take a look at the website and get a sense of, you know, what what we do and um, and if we can possibly answer their particular questions or anything like that. Well, thank you so much for the time, and, and I hope maybe we can come back in a matter of uh, fast forward to some months and come back and find out where you are on this lovely film and and get an update from you. Okay, that sounds good. Oh, okay. one, one thing, member of fiscal sponsorship, and I know your organization offers fiscal sponsorship, but that's the other thing I think people need to get right away, and they're going to need a proposal to do it. So I just wanted to yeah. add that. Thank you. That's right. right. I forget that. Okay, Tina, thank you very much for your time. And Claire, thank you. Yes, oh, you're very welcome. And, and for our listeners who want to know how to reach Carol Dean for the fiscal sponsorship, Carol, you want to just give that information quickly? Um, it's from theheartproductions.com. From the Heart Productions. Okay. Good okay. place to start. Hey, be well, everyone. Take good care. Thank okay. You. You're welcome. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.